Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Three topics this week. Later in the programme, I'll be highlighting some of the radio work of broadcaster Ted Thomas, who's died at the age of 92. Ted first came to Hong Kong working in naval intelligence before working with then Radio Hong Kong for three decades after joining in 1957. I can see the officers up on the bridge of the ship Bougainville there waiting to welcome His Excellency. The gangway is down and whilst the national anthem was being played we saw the Royal Naval Frigate Modeste steaming eastwards out of the harbour to take up her station waiting for Bougainville to come up. The earliest recording I'm playing of him is reporting on Governor Alexander Grantham leaving Hong Kong in December of that year. So back to Ted Thomas later in the programme. But first, on January the 22nd, it was 105 years since a horrific shootout in Crescent Street in Wan Chai in which five police officers died. It was not a well-known story until the great-niece of the detective inspector who was killed Mortimer O'Sullivan began to investigate the story some years ago. Patricia O'Sullivan has been back in town for a few weeks from England and you may have heard our tour of Taekwun on the programme last month where we talked about the lot of women, crime and courts. I'll be returning to the topic of Gresson Street with Patricia on the Hong Kong Heritage programme but the following is a short recording that I put together. There had been a lot of robberies, armed robberies, going on in the couple of months beforehand. And just over a week before that, a European sergeant was found murdered, just lying in the street near here. That morning, they'd had a report from Number 2 Police Station, which was down in Wan Chai, that there had been a big raid on a lime merchant's house nearby. And from there, information had come to the police that the gang responsible had holed up, or rather their centre of operations, were in 6 Gresson Street. So how do you think they found out that the gang was there? Somebody had tipped off? Some, somebody had tipped off. Somebody had seen something. Somebody knew something. 22nd of January, 1918. What day of the week is it? It's a Tuesday. O'Sullivan has already instructed his chief Chinese detective to get a men off at the right stop. They're, they're up here. Sun Tai, that detective, has started posting the men. The police officers arrived by tram with a search warrant. Only four were carrying guns. The European senior police detective inspector Mortimer O'Sullivan and detective sergeant Henry Goscombe Clark just had walking canes. Violent crime was uncommon and they didn't know whether the gang would be there. The police spread themselves out within 6 Crescent Street, a two-storey building, three to the top floor, while the inspector took three constables to the first floor where Clark would soon join them in the back cubicle. Initially, things went quietly. There are a number of people in, in there. There's a, a, a little girl sitting on a, a bed, and uh, there's a, a couple of women, and there's an old man smoking, smoking an opium pipe. I don't think they heard anything from the back cubicle, although there were a number of men in there. In they go. They tell the men to stand up who are in there. Everything goes very calmly. The men are told to come along to account for themselves. So the men stand up, they ask if they can take their coats, the coats are searched and then given to them, all is fine. And then there is a sudden lurch to a box that is on the bed. The box contains a vast arsenal of weapons, both, both revolvers and ammunition. And then the men are armed and start firing instantly. Goscombe Clark and O'Sullivan were killed instantly. 
Kwang Sang would die later in hospital. Another officer was killed as he tried to climb down the building. Police whistles were going off. An officer ran down the street to the police telephone. And remember, this gang have an enormous arsenal of weapons on them. They have guns tied to their wrists. Yeah, they're all on lanyards, aren't they, yeah. their revolvers? Yeah, and you know, they had a, a revolver between their teeth of the climbing down, so they can use their hands to climb. They're not short of ammunition either, so obviously they're reloading as they go. While the siege of the house was still going on, in an unprecedented move, the governor, Henry May, came and would negotiate in Mandarin with a gunman. The gang members escaped to Queen's Road East, more police officers in hot pursuit. Some ran through a brothel near Ship Street, where Constable Muller Singh would die in a shootout. The gang are going in and out of buildings, and they go into a brothel and out the other end. The gang leader, Ming, climbed the wall at St Francis Convent, where he was shot dead. By the end of that January 1918 day, the death toll was five police officers, two bandits, and at least three members of the public, including a small boy caught in the crossfire. Gang member Mling, who was injured, would be caught, deported, and beheaded on the mainland. It was a tragic day in Hong Kong, and days later, 250,000 people turned out for the funeral procession. It became known as the Gresson Street Affray. On January the 31st, or this past Tuesday, the Yen Chow Street Hawker Bazaar in Sham Choi Po shut down for the last time. Also known as Pang Jai, it was a covered market that first opened in 1978, opposite Sham Choi Po Police Station and under some lovely old trees on the intersection of Yen Chow Street and Lai Chi Kok Road. This ground floor market covered in metal sheeting was a haven for clothing design students and fashion professionals or housewives looking for fabric to make tablecloths. It will now make way for a public housing development. Inside the market were alleyways filled with stalls stacked with rolls of fabric, silks and cottons, cord and linen, fabric for curtains, material for suits and jackets. In Yen Chow Street Market were vendors who've been there for decades. Less than a third of the original vendors have moved to a new premises this week. For many, the rise in rent for their stalls has proved prohibitive. For others, in their 70s or 80s, they felt it was time to retire. One elderly vendor sold me some pink corduroy material and then some broderie anglaise, which he measured out with his wooden ruler. The white cotton material will later become my Yen Chow souvenir cushion covers. When I paid, he looked me in the eyes and thanked me. And I really felt a sadness that his daily sense of purpose, the trade that he's been in for decades, that it's all over for him. I don't have a solution, but parts of Hong Kong's social history are disappearing at quite a pace currently. While I was at the market, I talked to vendor Tammy Ho. She's the second generation at the market and will continue on at the new one 400 metres away at Tung Chow Street. Both her parents were fabric sellers, her dad's now 82, and she joined them at Yen Chow Street as a little girl. I think I over 42 years because when I'm children, I'm here already. Oh, you were a child growing yes, up here? Yes, because I'm a second generation. I have my father. My father now is 82. So uh, when I'm children, I think maybe six or seven years old already here. 
Oh, so you've absolutely grown yeah, up Yes, with it. yes, yes. So, yeah, tell me how you'll be moving. You're actually going to a new premises. But how do you feel about leaving here? Uh, I feel so sad because all market, the labors look like the family. So some people is retire. So maybe before it's six, 60, the shop now only the new place, 18 shop. So, so very upset. Yes. Yeah. Tell me about a couple of the people that you've known here. I know have the old man uh, over here, but he will moving. He will moving in the new shop because he have uh, many stock in the factory. He want to the cleaning sell more. Yes. yes. You're getting like students. They're seeing it as an opportunity to buy this material. But so, but what are the people doing? Who are everybody's got to sell by the thirty first? Who are not going? Some students, they will buy the fiber to doing the homework and some the housewife, they will buy the fiber like doing the curtain and cushion. Yes. And some uh, some young lady, they will learning, teaching the class and the sewing. Yes, yes. absolutely. I mean, it, you know, if we're... It's very sad that the the market is going, but it is an opportunity now for people who are interested in sewing. They can get some bargains, I'm yeah, sure, yes. before the 31st. But on the new place, the rents is so expensive, really? so they very worry the price. Because uh, when on the new place, I need to pay 21000 for a month. And what do you but pay here? Less than 3000 so so crazy. So that's why not much the people are moving on the new place. Yeah, yeah so, so sad. I try to working hard because uh, now I I call six o'clock, but on the new place I will close around eight o'clock. Yeah. Because I need to working very hard to earning the rent, the money, so it's quite pressure for me. Yes. Now, when you were a little girl, so you yes. first joined your father about yes. seven or eight years old. Were you helping with the sewing? Before not much, but around uh, ten years old, I learning in my mum for the sewing. Really? Yes, that's fun. Yeah. Because I, I'm home, I have a free sewing machine. Free? Uh, yes, uh, one sewing machine is from uh, Sweden. Uh, two is a Singa, Singa and brother from uh, Malaysia. I got one sewing machine is from Sweden. It's 55 years old, but still working. Would you come here and when you were a child, so you'd come here and do your homework? While yes, you're... every day I come yeah. in because after school, my mum will bring me here to work, uh, doing the homework here. And on the car park, before is a, a basketball, ba- basketball, the playground. So the all children can play the basketball in the car park. Ah, it's not far away, just... Uh, walk three minutes in the outside. Now it's a car park. So you go and play basketball yes, while your yes, parents yes, are in Yes, here. yes, <laughs> yes. So, so was your father, I mean, he's 82 now, was he quite a tailor as well? Or? Uh, he is uh, selling, selling the fabrics, but before he can sewing the tailor, but now he is 82, very old. Vendor Tammy Ho there on one of the final days of the Yen Chow Street Hawker Bazaar. Broadcaster Ted Thomas died last month at the age of 92. I knew him when he was in his 80s, when he was still working in public relations and publishing. What I didn't realise until a few years ago was his presence as a broadcaster at RTHK. He joined then Radio Hong Kong in 1957. Ted Thomas first came to Hong Kong to work in naval intelligence. He would work in radio and later set up his own ventures. Ted's life was not without its controversies, but today I remember Ted Thomas, the radio man, and regret I didn't talk to him about his many broadcasts during his lifetime.
So for the rest of this programme, I'm playing excerpts from Ted's reporting. Ted Thomas did all sorts, outdoor broadcasts, documentaries and even a slightly dramatised version of his visit to a Hakka village in the New Territories. Here, I mostly focus on his outside stuff and he was rather good at it. He had an ability and probably plenty of notes, which you can hear in the wind sometimes, to commentate as the events unfolded, but also to keep that live commentary going when the dignitaries hadn't arrived yet, so there was plenty of preparation. I also like to listen to him sometimes for that style of reverential broadcast, uh, that treatment that's from a time past. So we start off in December 1957 with a team of radio reporters positioned in a variety of places to mark the exit of Sir Alexander Grantham, who's leaving after his time as governor. For the excerpts that I have of Ted Thomas, he's standing on top of the Star Ferry Terminal, which, as we find out, had only just opened, or that version of it. And I have to say, he does a good job of keeping the wind off the microphone. This is Radio Hong Kong. Today, the 31st of December, His Excellency the Governor and Lady Grantham are leaving Hong Kong. As the Lady Maureen leaves here and goes out, it'll be observed at close quarters by Ted Thomas, who is right at the far end of the Star Ferry Pier, and so for what he can see from his point, over now to Ted Thomas. Greetings from the roof of the new Star Ferry Pier. I am sitting up on the top of the eastern arm of the twin arms of this building, and right in front of me, across the harbour, the Kowloon Docks. And between these docks and here lies the Bougainville. To my right, the Royal Naval Dockyard with HMS Newcastle, the cruiser, alongside flying her colourful ensign, jack and admiral's flag at the masthead. And nearer still, still within the precincts of the dockyard, the fleet auxiliary Gold Ranger. The harbour below and around this man-made peninsula jutting out into the roads here seems unusually full today, as if all the ships who habitually use the port of Hong Kong are gathering here and taking this opportunity of saying goodbye. The smaller harbour craft are well represented too, and as the star ferries move across between here and Kowloon, we notice a definite list towards this side as the people who are travelling take this last opportunity of having a look at what's happening over on Queen's Pier, which is directly behind me. The wind whipping in from the direction of the Limoon Pass is, as John has already said, just about the strongest we've had so far. And uh, the few junks we can see around the harbour have shortened and reefed down the sail as the sea itself has been whipped up into quite a choppy condition. And certainly the Lady Maureen alongside there is beginning to feel it as she rolls and grates gently against Queen's Pier just behind me. Across from Kowloon now, for those of you who are looking down from the peak and points where you can see what's happening down here, at a large craft crossing behind or uh, now coming ahead of Bougainville, a large mobile crane coming over here and uh, certainly going to get in the way if she carries on this course because it's almost directly in line with the course which Lady Boring will have to take to get out to Bougainville. And now behind me, the excitement in the crowd begins to ripple as those in the rear push forward for a better view. And so, to bring you, our listeners, closer, let's go over to Tim Brinton. Well, as Ted Thomas was speaking to you, the multiple guard of honour came to attention as the commander of British forces arrived. And now, into sight, comes the car bringing His Excellency 
and Lady Grantham round to the dais in front of Queen's Pier. In the background, we shall hear the music played by the band of the Royal Marines and the Green Howards. As she goes, we will pass you for a description of a voyage from Queen's Pier out to the Bougainville, over to the Star Ferry to Ted Thomas. Um, through binoculars here, I can see the handkerchiefs waving and the ropes have dropped into the water now. Ropes which secured the launch Lady Maureen to Queen's Pier, symbolically casting off all ties of a long and successful association with Hong Kong. The Hong Kong which has grown and flourished under His Excellency's leadership and guidance. Sir Alexander Grantham leaving Hong Kong in December 1957. In 1959, Prince Philip comes for a visit and once again Ted Thomas is off to the harbour and then in a flotilla alongside the Royal Yacht Britannia as His Royal Highness leaves Hong Kong. Reminiscent of the sort of scene we see in any of the old Chinese prints, there's a surface mist on the sea and looking across towards Wagglin and towards the Nine Pins and towards the Potoi group of islands there, it seems as if they're suspended in midair, about perhaps two or three hundred feet above the surface of the water, because the whole of the bottom surface, the whole of the shoreline, is blotted out or smudged out by this, if not thick, then certainly fairly thick, surface mist. We're heading now directly towards Waglin, with the flotilla at what must be almost full speed, in fact I'm sure it's full speed, keeping impeccable formation in direct line ahead. In fact, as I look forward through our own mast and through the other three masts of the three ships ahead of us, they form a perfectly straight line, one which a ruler could be placed alongside and not show any appreciable difference either to the left or right. There with the voices of Darsham rigging out the tiny crew of less than a dozen men, their caps held aloft, swinging them round as they shout, hooray, three hurrahs for the Duke of Edinburgh and the Royal Yacht Britannia. That final commentary on the departure of the Royal Yacht Britannia came from Ted Thomas on board HMS Dasham. Ted Thomas reporting there on Prince Philip leaving Hong Kong. And the final piece, which is a bit longer, is a documentary Ted Thomas did in 1969, when Kai Tak Airport was about to expand. This was in anticipation of the jumbo jet, so the advent of the Boeing 747, also in anticipation of Concorde coming to Hong Kong. But not only that, it showed how Hong Kong was growing as a regional and international hub for air tourism and trade. So actually, for this documentary, Ted talked to all sorts of people. So I've been having a listen through. There was people talking about catering, another manager explaining a newfangled conveyor belt that will take passengers' luggage to arrivals, among other individuals throughout this whole airport. But I also like the bit at the end where Ted's on a rescue rehearsal and can't control the wind as he goes along at 80 miles an hour. Zulu Hong Kong Precision, Roman 9.5, read you long, clear, how do you read? Precision, Cathay, Fox 
Approaching Hong Kong. Visibility is low. A commercial airliner at 4,000 feet, 10 miles away, checks in for precision approach radar control landing. Over 100 passengers peer anxiously through the aircraft window, squinting for a glimpse of the land below through the swirling mists outside. From Hong Kong's air traffic control center just below the airport control tower at Kai Tak, one man directs the delicate operation of talking 150 tons of aircraft down onto the runway. Another aircraft safely down. It's only one of over 50 every day. The gleaming silver plane taxis back down the runway and onto the parking apron. Beneath the concrete surface of the apron lies an intricate network of fuel pipes. Above, the usual convoy of multicolored vehicles converges on the aircraft. These are the service vehicles. They come with their crews, each charged with its own highly specialized task. Well, the uh, working teams are standing by and all the vehicles are standing by for the arrival of the aircraft. That's passengers, buses, uh, prime movers, conveyor belts for the offload of the cargo and the baggage. Uh, when the aircraft arrives, of course, the passengers come down the gangways and at the same time the holes are opened and the passengers' baggage comes off first. The baggage is usually in the customs area within about 10 minutes of arrival, at which time uh, passengers are then beginning to process right through immigration. Uh, another thing that we do uh, while the aircraft is here is that we have a team of team of chaps who go on board the aeroplane um, to clean the cabin while it's here. They go through, they hoover the carpet usually, um, change the headrests, uh, gather up any um, bits of paper and so on that are left lying around. Baggage moving out, cleaning teams moving in. Meanwhile, the first passengers are beginning to leave the plane. Transit passengers to stretch their legs and browse through the duty-free shops in the transit lounge, disembarking passengers to the port health desks for the first of three formalities which must be completed before they're cleared into Hong Kong. Uh, when a passenger arrives Hong Kong, they must pass through uh, the port health department. The nurse will checking the health documents, uh, both for cholera and smallpox. Well, if they are coming from cholera infected area, then we check both cholera and smallpox. If they are coming from clean pot only, then we check smallpox. Well, if the passenger, they are holding invalid or immature, or even they don't have uh, any documents, then we just give the shot to the passenger and record down his name and all the particulars. After the passengers are cleared by Port Health, they then proceed to the immigration counters where their passport or travel documents is examined by the immigration officer on duty at the time. This takes approximately one minute. And providing the document is in order, the passenger then proceeds direct to the customs hall for his baggage. At present, we have a total of 16 arrival counters and 11 departure counters. However, 
After the 1st of November this year, the arrival counters will increase to a total of 32, and the departure counters will then increase to a total of 20. Rescue control, this is Hong Kong Grand, a Texas crash, a DC-4, just got airborne off runway 13, three cells on board. Helicopter 07 is available, overhead RAF dispersal for help. Inform me where you are. Fire control, I say again, for exercise purposes, the DC-4 crashed on the end of the runway for exercise purposes. Moving at 80 miles an hour down the runway now, less than 30 seconds after the call has been received that an aircraft has crashed into the sea off the end of the runway. The fireboat is already moving out from the jetty into position. We're being followed by one, two, three, eight units. A helicopter is moving forward. Helicopter is following us. We're now slowing down at the end of the runway. As we come to a halt at the grass strip, one minute and four seconds have elapsed since the first call. And immediately on arrival, the fire appliances pull up alongside us overhead. You can hear the helicopter. The fireboat is moving out from the end of the runway. And in the open door of the helicopter, hovering at about 50 feet above us, we can see one rescuer ready to drop down near to where the simulated crash is taking place. Ladders and ropes are being taken out of the appliances. All the appliances themselves have now come to a halt at the end of the runway by the edge of the sea. Outside on the parking aprons, the runway, and throughout the airport buildings, the pulsing life of Kaitak goes on. With careful planning and a realistic fiscal policy, the airport continues to grow, and what is just as important, perhaps, to pay its way as it grows. Now Cathay Pacific Flight 450 has been fueled, fed and watered. The aircraft is cleaned and checked, ready for takeoff. Transit passengers have been called to the buses to resume their places in the plane. New passengers arrive simultaneously and walk across the hot concrete to the Convoy 880, which will lift them into the skies for the next leg of their journey. The doors close, the pilot eases the throttles forward, and the huge wheels begin to roll. Smiling hostesses help the more nervous with their seat belts. The pilot guides the great machine off the parking apron and taxis to the beginning of the runway. With the control tower radioing final clearance, the sleek airliner lunges forward and quickly gathers speed straight down the middle of the run. Thank you. 
now airborne, she describes a graceful curve towards Limon Pass and the sun above the clouds. Behind, Kaitak falls away, having done its job of caring for this one aircraft, now to continue its job of caring for many more. A few excerpts from the broadcast career of Ted Thomas, who's died at the age of 92. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>